Okay. As you know, that um, the Tuesday night class switches when we talk about the Tuesday closest to Rosh Chodesh. And uh, this coming Friday and uh, Shabbat is Rosh Chodesh. So tonight we're not going to have a Garden of Amunah class. We're going to have the Rosh Chodesh class. And we focus upon the energy of the upcoming month. And this coming month is the month of Adar. This year is a leap year. We have two months of Adar. We have Adar 1 and uh, Adar 2. So we're going to start now with Adar 1. And then, God willing, next week we'll discuss another dimension of Adar. What I want to talk about this week is that Adar is the fish, Pisces. The month of Adar is all about the mazal. So much so that our sages tell us that if you have a court case pending, try to get it into the month of Adar. Because Adar is the month of mazal. Next month, God willing, for Adar Bet, the second Adar, we'll be discussing what that means, what the mazal is. For this week, I wanted to focus on one different topic about the fish. Interesting enough, in the laws of Rosh Hashanah, we discuss the fish. We discuss the fish when it comes to Tashlich. We talk about the verse that tells us, and to the ocean I will cast your sins. We talk about over there the fish. There should be fish in the water. We talk about also the head of a fish on Rosh Hashanah, even though that there's a, it says also in the law that you should use the head of a ram because of the ram that took the place of Isaac on the binding of the altar. Um, today it's not easy. Uh, FDA, a little head of a ram, wouldn't be so easy. But uh, we talk about the fish. So I want to talk to you about what the fish is. We find two interesting statements about the fish. Statement number one, that the fish is protected from the evil eye. Simply speaking, why? Because it is protected from the human eye. If it's protected from the human eye, it's protected from the evil eye. The human eye and the evil eye, they work hand in hand. Because it's humans that have the powerful tenth of the tenth command, ten commandments that one shall not covet, one shall not be jealous. Los Humans have a bad tendency. Humans have a tendency of not wanting what they have, but uh, wanting what the other person has. Famous uh, prayer. We ask God to please grant us the gift of wanting what we have and not <laughs> the other way around, having what we want. So uh, we can never have what we want. There's always what we want more and more and more. The blessing is to want what we have. So the human eye and the nindic is very close to the evil eye. It's used very much in the evil eye. And then we have another teaching that says that the eye of the fish never closes. And that is, the Talmud tells us, the sign of God's ever watchful eye. And that is represented in the fish eye that never closes. So we have a very interesting thing about the fish eye. We have one thing about the fish that it is protected from the human eye simply because humans don't see it. It's underwater. And the second thing we have is that it is the sign of God's eye which protects us. So, first of all, let's talk about the evil eye. Is it real? Is it not real? 
you guys saw on the Facebook, someone shot out the right away a comment on the wall that the way to protect yourself from the evil eye is don't buy into it, it doesn't exist, da 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 da. So, first of all, I want to just tell you a very scary teaching in the Talmud. Two sages walked by a cemetery and one told the other one, 99 out of 100 that lay here are laying here because of an evil eye. Evil eye is serious. Ayin hara is a serious issue. When the tribe of Joseph came to Joshua and spoke to them about their population, he answered them, then run into the hills so that you won't be living in open ground. You'll be protected from the human eye, so you'll be protected from the evil eye. One more quote, Kenny Rogers, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, to be serious, the evil eye is a serious thing. They actually read a story that the Rebbe at the age of two, when they were davening in the Rebbe's father's house, Mayrev, the Rebbe jumped out of his crib and sat down and started davening Mayrev. And immediately his mother came, scooped him up, took him away. She didn't want people to see. The evil eye is not a joke. The evil eye is something serious. It is a true existing thing according to the teachings. What people do with that is a different story. But let's talk about what I've learned, not what people do with it. You all are familiar with the red thread. What is the secret of the red thread? Believe it or not, it's not Kabbalistic. The red thread is a very simple thing. If you do your studies, which car gets the most tickets? Partner Morviko will tell you red sports cars. Why? It's not Kabbalah either. It's very simple. Red attracts the eye. You should know, women, that it is forbidden for a woman to wear all red because red attracts the eye. Now let's go back to the red string. The secret of the red string is that it pulls your eye. Your eye isn't looking directly at the face because part of your eye was already attracted to the red color. That is the reason why people wear a red string. Which is why I always laugh when people wear a red string under the shirt. <laughs> the purpose of the red is to be seen. A different story with the red thread is that today, most of the times when you get red thread, you try to get it from Cave Rachel. That's a special thing, why? You remember the story about Rachel? Rachel was the mother of Joseph. When they met Esau, Joseph stood in front of Rachel to protect her from the evil eye. That's why Joseph was blessed with Ben Porat Yosef. By the way, Sephardim have a beautiful custom. Whenever they feel an evil eye, they say that verse. Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Al Ayin. That means that he is protected because he protected his mother from Esau's evil eye. He was blessed to be protected from the evil eye. So the evil eye, simply speaking, is the intent of the person looking. Which is why, why it's very important don't count your money while you're sitting at the table. It's not the smart thing to do. Actually, to quote the Talmud, it says that blessing lies in that which is hidden from the human eye. So when we talk about the human eye, the evil eye, we talk about the nature of humans to look at something, to look at something very jealous, so forth and so on, it's serious. Let me tell you how serious it is. When you say Yisker, in shul, those who have parents that are physically alive leave the shul. Why? Believe it or not, the teaching is because they shouldn't get an evil eye from the souls of those who passed on that are coming to the shul. 
Because when you say yisker, the soul of your parent or person that you're saying yisker for comes into shul to be next to you. And that soul will see that by the other person there's no soul there. Which means that his parent is still physically alive. You don't cause problems, leave. Just don't be in the shul if you have a parent that's physically alive. Both parents. You have one parent, you have to say but you say Yisqabil. So the evil eye is serious. It actually is the reason for a lot of things that we do. With that being said, now we need to understand what exactly is the power of the evil eye and how to deal with the evil eye. It's interesting, but while we have the color red, Sephardim actually use a different thing. They use the eye. And actually it's interesting because if you go to Turkey, you'll see it's not just Jews that do it. The, Turkey, the Turkish non-Jews, Gentiles, also sell that hand with the eye. So all that blue color. But going back to what the, the hand, the khamsa, it's a whole process. I just want to talk to you about that which I know, not about that which I don't know. So I want to just share with you a very interesting teaching. So someone, a woman asked the Rebbe about the evil eye, the ayinara, and the Rebbe told her, if you don't believe in it, it won't affect you. What does that mean? I just told you a story in the Talmud. I just told you a bunch of stuff that we do because of it. So what's it going to help if you believe or don't believe? It either is or it either isn't. So what is going on here? If it does exist, then what is not believing in it help? And if it doesn't exist, what does yes believing in it help? So how does the Rebbe's answer to that person make sense? So while when I saw what that lady, my friend, she posted on the Facebook, I smiled because she's right and she's not right. <laughs> she's right that if you don't believe in it, it isn't real. But she's wrong for stating that it doesn't exist. It is not a myth. It is not superstition. It is real. The evil eye is a real thing. We don't have superstitions in the Talmud. We have real stories in the Talmud. But what is it about this evil eye that actually you can decide whether it's real or whether it's not? So I'm going to start with Psychology 101. Before we get to the holy teachings, just let's take it from a psychological point of view. When dealing with abuse, if any of you ever read into abuse, you will learn power cannot be taken, power must be given. No one can take power from you. They can condition you and convince you to give power. If they're really good at what they're doing, you may not even think that you have a choice in the matter. But power can never be taken. It must be given. From that perspective, let's look at the Ayin Hara. The Ayinara is a true thing, just like abuse is a true thing. But it can't be pushed on you, you need to accept it upon yourself. And thus, the answer of the Rebbe makes a huge amount of sense. 
So the Ayn Hara does exist, but if you don't empower it, then it has no power over you. Thus, when we talk about the month of Adar, the month of the Mazal, we're talking about being able to not give power to it. And thus, we see two teachings about the fish. The first one is about the abuser. The fish is protected from the evil eye because it is not seen by the evil eye. The second point about the fish is nothing what to do with the abuser. Rather, it has to do with God's protective eye. Hine lo yanum velo yishan shomer Yisrael. The challenge, the challenge is, they tell an interesting story. Tell a story about this guy who told someone, I can teach you how to walk on water. And he says, really? He says, yeah. And he teaches him the whole meditation and the this and the that. And then he says, okay, you're ready to walk on water. He takes him to the sand, you know, where the water is. He tells him, now remember everything I taught you. Stay focused, keep your mind, and you'll be able to walk on water. As the guy's about to take his first step, he says, oh, oh, I forgot to tell you. Don't think about elephants. You see, what happens with the evil eye is, the more you think that you shouldn't think, you're going to end up thinking. That's a problem. Because in the world of Kabbalah, there's two types of relationships. There is a Kesher Chiyuvi, and there is a Kesher Shlili. There is a positive relationship. I'm attracting by positively attracting. And then there is another type of relationship which is just as potent, which is the Kesher Shlili. I'm not going to think about this. You're thinking about it. You're thinking that you're not going to think, but you're thinking about it. Again, just another quote from a secular source. Those of you who read the book Secret, you know that. The Law of Attraction. If you keep on telling yourself, I'm not going to be poor, you're connecting with poverty. Don't be thinking that I'm not going to be poor. So when we talk about not believing in Ayin Hara, if you spend your whole day convincing yourself that you don't believe in Ayin Hara, you're dealing with Ayin Hara. That won't work. So what does work? So I need to share with you a story. A story I heard from a very great man, he should live and be well, by the name of Yoel Khan. He told me a story, what happened with him when he was in Israel. I shared the story with you once before, if you remember, I'll share it with you again. The story is that this guy, a very simple, pure chassid, went over to Rabbi Yoel Khan, who was then a student in Shiva there, and he asked him, he said, why do the teachers, the Hasidic 
thinkers, why do they hide in their office when they pray for hours? In Kfar Chabad, in the yeshiva proper, it wasn't Kfar Chabad then probably, but in the, in, the, um, in the yeshivas generally, you have different type of teachers. There were those that sat right there in shul, covered their head with their talis, and stayed there for six hours in davened. In Paris, that was a matter of this Nemanov, he didn't hide. He stood right by the front wall where he davened, he stayed there, and he did his thing. Then there were other people who I met, a man like Armando Futafas, who davened for hours, but he stayed in shul until the minyan was over, and then he went into, which we knew was Ramendel's office. And there he stayed and davened for hours and hours. So this man was questioning, why do people hide when they pray? What's wrong with the student seeing you pray? Or anyone seeing you pray? Why do you need to hide? And the answer, of course, is because you don't want to have ego. So if people see you davening for hours, and they start talking, oh, Ramendel davens for hours. It can get to you. So he went on with the conversation. And he said, so what is hiding going to help? Hiding is going to make the other person shouldn't see you. But the other person seeing you isn't the problem. The problem is that you are affected by the other person seeing you. That's a different issue. So by hiding, you didn't take care of the issue. By hiding, you only robbed the other person from being able to see. How a davens. But your own issue that you get affected by other people's thoughts, you didn't take care of. So Rabiel said, he asked this person, so what's the answer? What should you do? You're right. It's not the other guy's fault. The other guy is just looking. On the contrary, he maybe even will be aroused that he himself should daven like a better mensch. But running away, is not going to help that. What's, so what should you do? So this Chosid answered Rabbi Yael, it's simple what you do. You just lift yourself up to a place where they're looking doesn't make a difference. Simple. The simple answer. You don't have to hide. Just don't let their seeing affect you. How do you not let their seeing affect you? By rising to a much higher plane of thought where they're seeing you or not seeing you doesn't make a difference. If you're focused on who you're talking to when you're daven, what difference does it make? Who's looking at you? Let's go back to our story. Buy into Ayanara, not a good thing. Spend your whole time fighting that I don't believe in Ayanara, that itself is telling me that you believe in Ayanara. So what do you do? And the answer is to rise up to a different plane of relationship with Hashem. Now let's go back to the two stories we hear about the fish. One thing about the fish is that the fish is protected from the human eye. So simply speaking, that's like hiding in the room. No one sees you davening. You won't get affected by it. So that is running away from the negative. But that's not the proper way. That's not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is go to the second dimension of the fish. The fish is blessed not because it is hidden from the human eye, but because the ever open eye of the fish 
is the manifestation of the verse that talks about God never sleeping. His ever protectful eye. I'm going to go back a little bit to the Psychology 101. One of the hugest challenges that human people have, the human race has, is to not wear other people's baggage. It is one of the largest issues. It's the issues that wrecks children growing up. It's the issues that wrecks marriages. It's the issues that wrecks relationships. It is an extremely never-ending battle to take something that was put on your lap, that doesn't belong in your lap, to pick it up and put it back on the other person's lap. That's where it belongs. That is so difficult. It's especially difficult when you're a child. And what people say about you becomes your image about yourself. That is the first and foremost biggest challenge of the Ayinara. By accepting what someone else is putting on you. And what we try to do is to run away. So much so, without getting into details, I was once sent out of a room without knowing what's flying. Later I found out that someone was coming and this and that, that he wanted iron harder, don't ask. Yeah, that's pretty much what I said. So you can spend your whole life running away from everyone else's baggage. But what's, what's real about that? What's real is that you have a clear image of who you are. You know who you are. So what people say about you doesn't make a difference. That is the difference between the first and the second dimension of the fish. The second dimension of the fish is that it's God's eye. It's not the human eye. It's God's eye who dictates who I am and who I'm not. I've shared this once before by a Fabrengan here. When we were single boys in Venezuela, we used to do a lot of Fabrengan. One of the greatest wishes that went around between us when we were taking Lachayim in the wee hours of the morning was a blessing that may we only once in our lifetime at least see when we look in the mirror what the Rebbe sees when he looks at us. Just to go by by dollars, the Rebbe would look at you. The Lachayim that went around the table in the wee morning hours was that may we merit once in our life when we look in the mirror we should see ourselves exactly the way the Rebbe sees us when he looks at us. What does that mean? So Partially, you think to yourself, well, one second. The Rebbe is a tzaddik. And the Rebbe sees exactly what we did and what we thought and who we are and what we are and what everything we try to hide is there. 
it's interesting. But uh, I actually saw this book. There's a book that teaches you how to read palms and how to read faces. Chochmas Apartsov. Don't worry, I didn't, uh, I didn't pass that class. But what happened was that because we knew that a tzaddik sees upon your face the stain of sin, so it was a mishigas for a while. I remember it. That when you walked by the Rebbe, you wore your hat low. The brim of your hat should cover your face. And one time, when someone went by by kosher bracha to get wine, the Rebbe leaned over and said, if I can see through your forehead, I can see through your hat. One dimension is to think to yourself, my God, what the Rebbe sees when he looks at me. Every sin that I hide from everyone else is there blatantly in front of the Rebbe. <laughs> it's not what the Rebbe sees. Because if you look at the videos of the dollars, you look at any time when the Rebbe had communication with someone, what the Rebbe sees is all the goodness and the potential. And then the Rebbe from that point on is pushing you to activate it. That is the regular story every video you watch of the Rebbe talking to someone. A whole different dimension. The previous Rebbe used to write a lot of titles about people. And then the previous Rebbe wrote about himself that he doesn't, in Yiddish you say, the previous Rebbe said about himself, I don't throw titles like that. I'm very careful which title. But the previous Rebbe used to write a lot of titles. The Rebbe actually not. The Rebbe, previous Rebbe used to write a lot of titles. So some, one time they asked the previous Rebbe that he wrote about a certain individual, such titles. So someone told the previous Rebbe, I know the guy. It's not. It's not him. So the previous Rebbe told him like this. He says, do you know what happens when you take blood work? They take the blood work and they put it under a microscope. And they look for the slightest trace of something. Why? The slightest trace, big deal. Because so, there two reasons. Because if we find the slightest trace over here, there may be more of it somewhere else flowing in your body. Number one. Number two, if we find that slightest trace, we can cultivate it. Previous service said, that's my job. I take a Jew, I put his soul under a microscope and I look for the slightest traces of goodness and the minute I find it I start cultivating it with titles bringing it out letting him know it does exist it is in you so maybe all your life you've been told you're a miser but I did find a trace of chesed I did find a trace of kindness I'm gonna cultivate it I'm gonna cultivate it by telling you that you're a kind person bring it out bring it forth so when you talk about the eye of the fish representing the ever-protective eye of God, what we're talking about is shedding once and for all all the yuck that was thrown onto you because of other people's baggages and other people's issues. Starting from your own parents who probably obviously didn't mean anything bad, up through your relationship with your siblings, your teachers, your principals, your spouse, it goes on and on and on the list. Everyone's got issues and they all throw it on to the other person. That's just human nature. So you've probably been told things about yourself which you have unquestionably accepted as reality. 
because we all have a perverse picture of ourselves because we all love ourselves. But the other person sees us objectively, not subjectively, in the whole spiel. And we've accepted upon ourselves other people's eyesight. That is lethal when you're talking ayin har. So the most dynamic issue, power, element of the month of Adar, when we talk about the power of the mazal that has to do with the fish, is not that the fish is hidden from the human eye. That's level one. But the more potent level is that it represents the ever open protective eye of Hashem which allows me to see myself not as other humans who got to me too fast before I can run away and stuck their yuck on me. But rather to shed any other human eye's perspective of me. To allow me to see myself not as those who have issues see me, but rather as God Almighty sees me. To be able to find those traces, and sometimes it's not just traces, sometimes it's an overabundance that our own people who loves us most unfortunately can't deal with and pervert the mind. And all of a sudden, we can't look in the mirror anymore. Now we're talking evil eye in its fullest glory. So what I want to share with you tonight is that the power of other is number one, hide from human eye. And what I'm saying tonight is not esoteric, not Kabbalah. I'm just telling you, stop listening to what everyone tells you about yourself. There's a book out there, another secular book. You've heard it from this, about this from me before. I've suggested you people read this, The Four Agreements. A book, a very small book, written by a Mexican mystic. I think his name is Miguel Rodriguez. He writes over there four agreements you need to make with your soul. But you want to focus on one of them. It's really two of them, but one of them. Never take anything personal. Not the compliment and not the insult, because it has nothing what to do with you. It has solely to do with the eye of the beholder. So if someone's having an issue, they're going to tell you about yourself. If someone's having a figure issue, you are going to look fat to them. Or you are going to look skinny to them, depending how they treat their issue. When it has nothing what to do with you. It has to do with the person looking at you. That is exactly what the Ayin Hara is all about. It's trying to impose what they see upon you. And once you allow them to impose that upon you, you have become subject to it. Now you're not dealing no more with your turf, you're dealing with their turf. You're not dealing with your baggage, which you were sent down here to do tikkun with, you're dealing with their baggage. There's no way you can deal with their baggage because you weren't given the tools to deal with their. That's their tikkun, their issue, not yours. So what we're really, really dealing with here is, step number one, what did Joshua tell them? Run away, go into the hills, stay away from people's eyes. What is the fish? Under the water, 
Just stay away from human eyes. What is that telling us? Stop listening to what people tell you. People have a bad habit of never being happy, never being satisfied, never being appreciative, so let it go. <laughs> There's a great story I told someone this week. So this uh, young uh, couple gets married, and the way the custom is, I mean, in the olden days at least, and today pretty much at large, but things have changed, because today we have two family, two income families. So sometimes the man is best off leaving his job and moving to the wife's city. But in the olden days, the way it worked was, you got married in the bride's city, and then you traveled to the husband's city, where hopefully he had a job. What happens? So they were leaving, and they got a gift. What did they get a gift? They got a donkey to travel with. So what happens? The man gets onto the donkey, and the woman's dying. They're walking. They pass the first village, and they overhear a conversation. Oh, my God, do I feel sorry for that woman? Did she fall into this husband's hands? Look at that. He's riding, and he's walking. He thinks to himself, you know, they're right. He gets off the donkey, and he lets the wife get on the donkey. They pass the next village. Oh, my God. What a witch. Do you see that? She's sitting and he's walking. You know what? They're right. They both get onto the donkey. They pass the next village and they hear, poor donkey. <laughs> both of them are sitting. Oh my God. Couldn't he fall into better owner's hands? And they think to themselves, they're right. They get off the donkey and they're both walking. The next village they hear, what idiots. They have a donkey. What are they walking for? <laughs> Moral of the story. Stop living everyone else's paradigm. It won't work. It won't work. You need to have your own paradigm. You need to be able to once and for all rip off the skin that other people grew onto you because it's not your skin. So the first thing is stop listening to people. Just stop. The Rebbe says, make yourself a teacher someone who you allow that individual to really get to know you, you trust that individual, you talk to that individual, and that's your guide. And if there comes a time where you feel that you outgrew this individual, or you're going through different issues in your life that this individual isn't that good with, then you go to the next route. But, stop asking everyone what they think of you, and what they think you should do, and stop trying to dance after everyone's opinion. Number one, the fish needs to be in the water, away from the human eye. Don't let everyone's issues be dumped onto you. It's extremely painful when you find out that someone gave you advice because they had their own issues involved, and you get really hurt. And don't expect, and I want to clearly tell you, don't expect any differently, because humans are humans. So if you know that this person has ulterior motives because it's a family member, it's a this, it's a that, whatever it's going to be, just don't be stupid. Don't expect the guy to be an angel. He's not. She's not. Accept that this person is not the person to talk to about this. And then when you have people that deal with issues and they throw those issues on you, you may love them and they may love you. Identify and don't go there. Just don't go there. But then there's the next step. And that's why I told you the story about Venezuela. 
not accepting other people's opinions about you and issues and baggage onto your lap is only getting away from the bad. But that's not the ultimate experience. The ultimate experience is to see yourself as the ever watchful eye of God sees you. Here's one, for example. Hypocrisy. It is amazing how in my service of shlichut, I very often find that because of hypocrisy, people stop doing mitzvahs. How can I do this when I do that? It's not as often that I find people stopping to sin because of hypocrisy. <laughs> if I'm keeping Shabbos, I've got to keep kosher, I've got to keep kosher, I've got to do this. You know, that, that doesn't happen as often. It does happen, by the way. It does beautifully happen. But the hypocrisy usually works against you. When we talk about seeing yourself in God's eye, God never looks at you through the eyes of hypocrisy. God is never asking you, why are you doing this mitzvah if you're doing that sin? Rather, God is very proudly and powerfully telling you, I see a mitzvah doer. The time will come that you'll stop doing that sin too. It is amazing how the minute your group of friends find you excelling in a mitzvah, they throw their hypocrisy card on you. That's not Hashem's eye. That's human's evil, jealous eye. I will share with you that one of the important things to do is to reevaluate who you hang out with. Because if you keep on finding your friends giving you the hypocrisy, evil eye, and rather than telling you, Kola Kavod, you're really going for it. You have our support. We believe in you. You can really make this happen. We always knew it. If you're finding the opposite, it may be time to reevaluate who's on your bus and who's off your bus. Not with a lack of respect, but if you find people telling you that you can't, who do you think you are? And by the way, I don't just mean religiously. I mean financially. It's time to get certain people off your bus. Because the power, the month of Adar, is to surround yourself with people who see you through God's eye, not through human evil eye. I'm going to close it up now, but I just wanted to wrap up again, recap the practicality of what we're saying here. Power cannot be taken, it must be given, and that is the secret of the evil eye. And that is exactly what the Rebbe told that woman. The evil eye is true, but it won't work unless you empower it. Don't empower it and it won't work. Then the next thing I told you was that focusing on not believing in the evil eye is connecting to the evil eye. And thus, the proper step is to rise up the level of consciousness where that's just not on your radar screen. Not yeah, believe, not no, believe. It just doesn't exist. We then went on to translate this into the two definitions of the fish. One power of the fish is that it's hidden from the human eye. 
What we said about that was learn to disregard, shed, get rid of all the clothing, images, and baggage that people who may have loved you most unfortunately dumped on you. And then in closing we said the higher level is not to run away from what other people have to say about you but rather embrace what the eye of Hashem sees when Hashem looks at you. And thus I shared with you the greatest wish of uh, the students, at least my group, when we were in Venezuela was may we only one time see in the mirror what the Rebbe sees when he looks at us. Which is absolute goodness. He finds traces of goodness and immediately begins to cultivate it. That's how a divine eye looks at any human. To see what's wrong, you don't need to be human. You don't need to be divine. But to be able to find what's right, help, cultivate, empower, bring the best out, that's the divine eye. That's the two powers of other. So the first thing is, shake it off. Just shake it off. Some was done maliciously, some was not done maliciously, but it's all negative. Just get rid of it. Get rid of everything they've told you about yourself since you were a kid. Secondly, open up to what Hashem sees when Hashem looks at you. And then you have nothing to worry about evil eyes anymore. That's it for tonight, guys.